The Church of Jesus Christ in the Western world has been heralded for its many strengths, but there is an area of weakness that is of great concern in the contemporary Western Church. That is the weakness of our prayer life. The consequences of this weakness are all too apparent. Worldliness is rampant in the church. There's a compromise of convictions and accommodation to the fads, the movements, and the lifestyle of the pagans around us. Prayerlessness also has resulted in powerlessness. There is, in too many of us, an empty profession. Words we have, but words which do not affect our lives in the priorities that we make, the choices that we have. And uh, there seems to be, in altogether too many professing Christians, a form of godliness without its reality. Prayerlessness inevitably results in ungodliness, where life is lived essentially independent of God, where God is segregated to some appropriate place in our lives, while the mainstream of life goes on without his personal and meaningful involvement. Our study in Daniel chapter 9 begins with a record of a written prayer of this man of God who lived in a culture not unlike our own. This remarkable man who in so many ways gives us an example, here gives us an example of personal prayer, one that ought to humble us and challenge us in our own practice of this discipline. Daniel chapter 9 is not a how-to kind of instruction, but it is a marvelous stimulation, I hope, to our own practice of prayer. It seems to me that here in these early verses of the chapter we enter into that upper chamber that we studied about last week in Daniel chapter 6, where Daniel went three times a day to pray with his windows open toward the west, toward the city of Jerusalem, his home. You recall that he is living in the city of Babylon, hundreds of miles to the east. He was carried away as an exile there as a young teenager, about 15 years of age. Now he's in his 80s. It seems that we enter into that room where he spends his time with God. And we look over his shoulder. We listen to his words as he kneels to pray. Remember that Daniel was alive at a very significant time in history. History was in the making. The most powerful empire in the known world at that time had just fallen. Babylon. And Daniel is now one of the leaders in the new empire. The empire of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel knew the significance of the hour in which he lived. And as a result of that, he was a man who was fervent and effective in prayer. I believe that our need today is not only to understand the times we're living in, but it is to be a people of effective prayer as God sovereignly turns the pages of human history. And end time events are on the horizon. Daniel begins by giving us some historical background to his situation. He says, in the first year of Darius, 
the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. And so we know that this was 539, 538 B.C. During that first year that Darius reigned over the new empire. Darius, you remember, is a title that means a royal one. Darius was probably the person named Guburu, who was a Median general under Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians. Because Cyrus needed to have somebody in charge over this newly conquered territory of Babylon, he established Darius, Guburu, as his viceroy, his personal representative. Now, during this time, Daniel's thoughts were focused on God's word as he served Darius in a very highly respected office. Indeed, something similar to a vice presidency of the empire. In the midst of his busy schedule, Daniel's thoughts were not focused primarily upon his responsibilities as one of the commissioners of the land. But Daniel's thoughts were consumed with the word of God. Now there is particular reason for that as he explains in verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so he tells us that as he was studying the word of God, particularly the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, he came to some portions of scripture that spoke to the present condition of the Jews, that is, their captivity by Babylon. Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah and look at one of the passages that Daniel was meditating upon as he lived in this first year of Darius and his reign over the Medes and the Persians. Jeremiah chapter 25 Let's look in verse 8. Now remember, these words were penned a number of years before 539 B.C. Jeremiah was probably killed about 40 years before this. And so these words are written before that and indeed before the time that the Jews were actually carried into Babylon. He says in verse 8 of Jeremiah 25, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words... Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. God essentially says here, I am going to turn out the light among my people. And this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, 
for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it. And so God foretells through Jeremiah that the people of Israel will be captive to Babylon for 70 years. And when the 70 years are up, God will then judge Babylon and will release the Jews from their captivity. Well, now Daniel is living in the day when Babylon has been judged. The king of Babylon has been killed. Belshazzar was killed. And now he is living in the times of the Medes and the Persians, and there is a man named Cyrus who is reigning. Undoubtedly, Daniel was aware of what Isaiah the prophet had written as well in the 44th and 45th chapters of his book when he named Cyrus 150 years before he was born to be the one who would come and grant that the Jews go back to their homeland. Daniel was aware of all of this. The word of God was filling his mind and it caused him to pray. Now as we go back to the book of Daniel, let's see how this man of God prayed as we see his prayerful response to what the Word of God has been teaching him. Verse 3, So I gave my attention to the Lord, the Lord God, to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. And so in his response, as he begins to pray, Daniel first adores God. He says, O God, you are the covenant-keeping God. And for the first time in his book, he now employs that special covenant name of God, Yahweh. The name the Jews would not pronounce. It is signified in our English translations by all four letters, L-O-R-D, being capitalized. To this point, he has used the name Elohim, or Adonai. But now he brings in this special name of God, The name that says, I will keep my covenant with my people, the Lord, Yahweh. And he prays to this one. He adores him. He blesses God that he is long-suffering, that he is loving in his kindness, that he keeps covenant. By the way, the only basis for prayer is the faithfulness of God, the loving kindness of God. The fact that God keeps his covenant when he gives his word. And Daniel begins by adoring God for that uh, attribute about himself. But then he proceeds immediately with confession. And he says, oh God, we have sinned. And he uses four terms in verse uh, 5 to try to express the feelings in his heart about the way the people of Israel have acted toward the Lord. He says, we've sinned, that is, we've missed the mark. We have wandered from the path that you have laid out for us. 
He goes on to say, we have committed iniquity. That is, we have engaged in conduct that is crooked and distorted in your eyes. He says, we have acted wickedly. In other words, we have have carried out premeditated evil. We knew what we were doing and we carried out wickedness in your sight. And furthermore, he says, we have rebelled. The idea is we have defied your authority. We have defied your authority. We have revolted. We have rebelled against you. Now, having explained how he has sinned, he explains further by saying, look in verse 6, Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Notice what he says. We have failed to listen to the word of God. Lord, we have ignored your word and we have turned against those who have spoken it to us. We have sinned by succumbing to the idolatry of the nations around us. Instead of being your people in the midst of a polytheistic pagan world, instead of being faithful to the covenant that you have given to us, we instead have become like them. We have become idolaters, he says. We have become immoral like the nations. We have accommodated ourselves. We have compromised what you have intended for us to be in the world. And so he very openly and transparently confesses and acknowledges the sins of his people. Therefore, they richly deserved, says Daniel, the judgment that God brought upon them. The terrible loss that was theirs in the captivity, when they lost not only their nation, but they lost the temple with all of its instruments, that vessels that had been set aside for the service of God. They lost their priests. They lost their families. They lost their material possessions. They lost their freedom. They lost everything. And Daniel says, in essence here, God, we deserved it. And the judgment that you have brought upon us, we richly deserved because we have sinned in your sight. He acknowledges now in verses 7 through 14 the shame of the people. There is a line of teaching that is going out these days that says that the people of God should never be ashamed of anything. That it's wrong to shame. Well, I want you to know that God doesn't agree with that. There is a time for even the people of God to know shame. And Daniel acknowledges here, Righteousness belongs to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day. He says in verse 8, Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. You see, God had promised his people material blessings. He had promised them military victories. He had promised to them national greatness if they remained faithful to the covenant that God had established with them. 
but they hadn't been faithful. And now instead of knowing greatness and prosperity and blessing, they knew humiliation and shame. And when their name was spoken, it was with a hissing sound, the sound of despite. People laughed at them and mocked them as the people of Yahweh, because look what their God had done to them. They were ashamed because of their sin. And it's interesting that Daniel did not place the blame upon God for what they had experienced. Daniel here fully accepts the responsibility for the tragedies that had come upon them. He acknowledges that it was the chastening hand of the Lord which they deserved. He says in verse 9, To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants the prophets. Indeed, all Israel's transgressed thy law and turned aside not obeying thy voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Daniel seems to go back here to the book of Leviticus, back to the book of Deuteronomy. And he brings forth in his prayer the fact that God promised blessing when the people obeyed and God promised curses when the people disobeyed. And it was a covenant which the people gladly accepted. And they said, we will abide by the terms of this covenant. And now they have disobeyed and the curses of God have come upon them. And Daniel does not point back in God and say, God, why are you doing this to us? He says, God, this is exactly what we deserve. This is what you said would happen to us if we disobeyed. How often the natural man blames God for tragedies, blames God for disasters, unwilling to acknowledge the fact that evil consequences exist in the world because of the evils of man's heart and the evils of man's deeds. We cannot blame the consequences of sin upon God. God warns us in advance. Sin results in this. When we sin and get this, we cannot look back at God and say, it's your fault. We have to acknowledge, God, we deserve what we're experiencing. He goes on to say in verse 12, Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. I'd like you to turn back for just a moment to the book of Second Chronicles. And look at the seventh chapter of the book of Second Chronicles, where we have a record of a conversation between God and Solomon. Solomon, the great son of David, as you recall, built the temple in Jerusalem. The temple that now, in Daniel's day, has been ransacked and left in ruins. When, Dan, when uh, Solomon built it, it was a temple that was glorious. And God's glory came down and filled the place and sacrifices were offered to the Lord. And, and Solomon prayed to the Lord. 
Now in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12, the Lord appears to Solomon at night and, and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. All of these things were things that Solomon said, God, do this if we get away from you. Send us pestilence. Send us locusts. Shut up the heavens that there be no rain if your people disobey you. So God says, now if I do these things, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded, you will, and you will keep my statutes and my ordinances. Then I will establish your royal throne as I coveted with your father David. But, verse 19, if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I uproot you from the land, my land, which I have given you. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all the nations. And as for this house, which was exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them from the land of Egypt. And they adopted other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this adversity on them. Another statement of what God ahead of time told his people. If you obey me, there is blessing. If you disobey me and forsake me, I will judge you. Daniel now has experienced that judgment. He has lived through the whole 70 years. And the time has come for his people to be restored. Daniel knows what year it is. He knows that the time is nearly up, that almost 70 years have been completed. And so he appeals to God as he concludes his prayer. He appeals to God for pity. He says, Now, O Lord our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has made a name for thyself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. Because of our sins, the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen. Listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications. For thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. 
For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For thine own sake, O my God, do not delay, because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Notice how he phrases this. He says, God, it's not because of anything on our account. It's not because of merit on our behalf. But, O Lord, because of thy name, because that city Jerusalem over there, because these people who are in captivity are called by thy name, O Lord, for thy sake, listen, hear, and turn away your anger. Restore your people. What an emotional appeal he makes to allow a permanent dislocation of the people would bring reproach to the Lord. The pagans would conclude that their God was incapable of delivering them. They would never believe in the God of Yahweh, named Yahweh, the God of the Jews. So he appeals to God for pity. We're going to see how God responded to Daniel next week as we turn to one of the most interesting, complex, and I would dare say relevant prophecies in the book of Daniel. Daniel's intimacy with God allowed him to understand the times. You see, he was in the Word He knew the meaning of the fall of Babylon. He knew what Cyrus being on the throne of the Medes and the Persians signified. He understood the times. And because he understood the times, he was a man of prayer. I want to say to you in conclusion today that our need is not merely to understand the times. That's important. What is happening in our world today? You and I are living in historical times. As we see Europe and the Middle East in a turmoil unlike it has ever been in, in thousands of years. As nations are positioning themselves anew, I think what we're going to see when all of this is done, positioning that will lead directly to the tribulation and the rise of the Western Confederation of Nations and Antichrist and the things that the Bible prophesies to happen in the last days. We are living in historic times and we need to be in the Word of God so that we understand the times we're living in. But we need more than that. We need to be men and women of prayer. We need God to pour upon us the spirit of prayer and supplication. In Daniel's prayer life, he was disciplined. It says that he gave attention to the Lord. In his prayer life, he was fervent. He supplicated with God. It was not, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, kind of praying with Daniel. He opened his heart to God, and he prayed with a fervency and an intensity that is lacking in our Western church and its prayer life. 
When he prayed, he prayed with humility, with sackcloth and ashes, not the clothing of the vice president of Medo-Persia, but with sackcloth, ashes upon his head. He was not demanding of God like those who tell us that we're to name it and claim it today and make God nothing more than the servant boy of Christians. Daniel understood that that is a false idea of prayer and of God. He humbled himself before the great God, the God of his people. And as he prayed, he prayed with a big picture. Daniel didn't pray that his comforts would come through. He didn't pray for his own safety. He didn't ask for his own personal desires. Do you notice that? There is a time for that kind of praying, I know. But what we need today are people who understand the times and know how to pray with a big picture in view. Daniel goes back to history. He prays regarding what's happened among his people. He prays regarding what needs to happen among them. Daniel prays with a big picture. Does that describe your prayer life? Disciplined? Intense? Humble? Big picture praying? Or do words like routine, dull, without zest, even non-existent, describe your prayer life? Chuck Swindoll said, Daniel's example shows us that the saint who advances on his knees will never have to retreat. Daniel was a man of prayer. It is the praying person who makes the greatest impact in the world. The praying person. Not the rich. Not the one who holds the office. Not the powerful. Not the famous. But it is the praying person who prays like Daniel prayed. D.L. Moody said, Those who have left the deepest impression on this sin-cursed earth have been men and women of prayer. The first sign of true spiritual life is prayer. And it's also the means of maintaining spiritual life. Man can as well live physically without breathing as spiritually without praying. What I want to call upon you to be today, whether you're a teenager or you're a grandparent, whether you're married with kids or you're single, I want to call upon you to be a Daniel in your prayer life. I want to call upon you to join the core of Daniels who would be end-time prayers, who would know the significance of this hour and would be able to get on his or her knees before God and cry out to him. But I fear that too many of us, rather than being fervent in prayer, are just busy and stressed out and running here and there, socializing a lot with each other, We're more aware of the TV schedule than we are of the times in which we live. 
We know more about the latest movies that are being offered out there than we do about what the Word of God says about the days of the end times. We're making more and more money. We're buying more and more things. And all of the time, we are accommodating to culture, compromising to be like the world, which is going to hell and which is passing away And the need of the hour is for Daniels. I urge you to become a Daniel. To become a man, a woman of the word. To turn aside from goals that are merely for this life. As good as some of those goals can be. And to set your priorities rather upon the things of eternity in your prayer life. To become a person who grasps the significance of the hour and who will humble himself and pray and seek the face of God and turn from his wicked ways that God may do the work in his people that he needs to do. Would you bow with me, please? This is a message this morning that Satan did not want you to hear. I hope you've heard it. I hope that despite the fact that you may not have got as much sleep last night that you would like to have gotten, or that maybe your morning hasn't gone as smoothly as you hoped it would, that nonetheless the Spirit of God has arrested your attention for this hour that you are challenged to be a Daniel in your prayer life. Will you? Will you determine to discipline yourself to be in the Word? For it's the Word of God that tells us how to pray. Will you discipline yourself to be a woman of prayer? a man of prayer? Will you pray with fervency? Will you pray with humility? Will you pray with the big picture in mind and ask God to awaken His church in this hour? Oh Lord, we are a sinful people. We have grown so accustomed to the world around us with its ungodliness, its wickedness, its perversion that our hearts have grown insensitive to you. And we have substituted being busy, even busy in church things, in fellowship, in doing good things that we have forgotten the most important to be a people of the book, to be a people of prayer. Forgive us. And heal us. O Lord, restore us. Be merciful. Be patient. And bring to us as a people, the people of Grace Church, bring to us a new commitment to prayer be like Daniel in our hour as you are making history in the world 
In Jesus' name we pray.